Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCard from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. We're excited to be here today with Amelia Wilcox from Nevada. Welcome. Hey, happy to be here. And this is exciting because we've been wanting to get you on the show for quite a while. Scheduling things have happened and things, but uh, I keep hearing from all over the community, you got to have Amelia on the podcast. So here we are. This is exciting. Yeah. We'll see. Let's see where it goes. Good. Good. <laughs> so to start off, let's get the 30 second pitch on what Navadi is. Um, Navadi is an employee mental health and wellness platform where we provide on demand access to resources. Um, for your mind and body, and as well as the ability to work with live providers in any of these categories, including financial wellness, mental health, uh, physical health, nutrition, kind of all over the place. But everything kind of ties back into mental well-being. So business to business, Mm -hmm. um, who's your target customer? Like big employers, small employers, everyone? Yes, not everyone. That's always the wrong answer. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, yeah, so our target target is about like 200 to 2,000 right now is what we're mainly operating in. But we're just starting to pivot into working with uh, universities and on the student health and faculty and staff side, kind of being that one solution that serves the whole organization. Um, so... Little, little shift and just another pivot in a long line of pivots that we've had, but I'm kind of excited. Pivots and entrepreneurs. We've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the theme that we hear almost every week. So that's great. That's cool. My question to you, Amelia, is, um, you know, we've just gone through this pandemic, right? Which is a weird time for everyone and sad and, you know, just lots of things happening. Have you noticed a spike or an increase in, uh, you know, the need for your services because of what happened during the COVID pandemic and some of the you know resulting things that just came from that well a hundred percent yeah i mean Mm. covid was really hard and people were trying to figure out like how do i work from home and how do i like work-life balance when my kids are here and all these different things um maybe people hadn't done it before at our organization we'd always been a distributed team that worked remotely so we were like what's everybody freaking out about like it's cool (laughs) it's not that hard they're in the office but It was really hard for people. But what's interesting is you would think like COVID, chaos, everybody's moving home. Like people don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's living in uncertainty. And then, well, that's been a couple of years now. Everything should be getting better and people should be doing better. And what the statistics say is we've actually seen a 7% increase in burnout since COVID. Uh, it's not actually going down. It's going up because people kind of got used to working. The The numbers say the average person's working 3.13 hours more a week than they were pre-pandemic. So we're all working longer hours and we just we did that during the the pandemic and then we just kept on doing it. It was like we got it became the new normal. Um, cuz we saved time not I mean there was no commuting and there yeah. was, you know, it, it's easier to just keep going at your work when you're at home and you can just Oh, now it's 6:30 time for dinner and just finish and go to dinner. You know, is that is that kind of why that mentality? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that people, like, we haven't been given the skills and the training of how to, like, manage that and how to prioritize self-care and do all the things that we need to do to to do it in a healthy way. Um, I remember when my dad, he works at a university in Missouri, when he came home 
for the first time, he was just saying that like, he's like, I can't not respond to an email because my computer's right there. And it's just like, it's so easy for me. I can just like type something really quick. He's like, I literally can't, he can't stop being compelled to just do it or to just respond. So it requires a lot of discipline to be able to work from home and like turn off your Slack and not check your emails and things like that. And so only the people who had those skills already have been able to really thrive the way you would hope everyone else has kind of started to get this chronic um, buildup of burnout. And there are actually 12 levels of burnout in case you guys didn't know. Tell us, tell <laughs> us <laughs> more, Amelia. We want to hear this. Um, yeah, you so have there's, them memorized? I don't have them all memorized. <laughs> no, I can tell you the, my, the one I know is level 12 because I hit that during COVID uh, when I was pivoting the company. Previously, we did on-site corporate massage for businesses, and we worked with like 4,000 companies all over North America. And we were doing about $6 million in revenue, and then COVID hit, and in-office massage didn't do so great. <laughs> wow, I ne- how have I never heard about this? <laughs> in-office massage, that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, our whole business was just in-office massage, and we were doing about $6 million in revenue, and COVID hit, and it was just gone overnight. Wow. Um, and so to pivot the company, I was basically working like 90 hours a week, wasn't really sleeping. <laughs> I was working constantly, but I was just, for me, it was like we were in the middle of building our house. It was like our dream house. We had been, took us seven years to get out of debt and then save up for it and then buy the lot and then pick up the architect and save up to pay the architect and design the house and like save up for the construction loan. And then we had just started building it. We were about halfway done and COVID hit and the business was like slaughtered. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, I gotta do something or we're like, oh, gonna lose stressful. everything we've been working for. So yeah. yeah, so my stress had never been higher. And, um, yeah, so I worked to pivot the company and I started having all these symptoms. Um, I was hot all the time. I had like my hands started to have tremors in them. So I remember like eating dinner with my family and my hands shaking like this. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And um, I got like a rash all over my body, just like these patches of red skin that was just weird. And the scariest thing, so um, like my anxiety was just high. I would have nightmares in the middle of the night and I would scream in my sleep, but I wouldn't wake myself up. So my husband would have to shake me and be like, you're screaming again, (laughs) like in your sleep. Um, And my, my watch would go off my Apple watch and it would be like, your, your heart rate is 150 beats per minute. And you've been sitting still for two hours, (laughs) go see a doctor. And I was like, well, that's not normal. And I was having these weird heart palpitations. So my heart was just kind of like skipping a beat all the time and doing really weird stuff. And so I told my husband, I was like, I think I'm dying and I'm going to go see a doctor. And they might just say like, you're dying. You're on your way out. (laughs) I I was like ready for that. Um, but what happened is I gave myself an autoimmune disease. I got Graves disease all brought on completely by stress. Um, and I took a year and a half to go through remission to get into remission. And that required like changing my sleeping habits and changing my eating habits and, um, implementing like stress management techniques, like things that I actually know. And I had stopped using, um, you know, I was getting massages again, breathing, doing yoga, Um, And then really being um, very diligent about setting boundaries and making sure I wasn't like my phone never comes into my bedroom basically ever. I don't sleep with my phone in my room. It stays in my office. And 
I work only in my office. I don't work in other parts of the house for the most part. And um, when I'm with my family, I'm with my family, and I don't I try to just leave my phone <laughs> whenever I'm there. So anyway, going back to burnout, that's level 12 because level 12 requires medical att- attention. That's like the worst one. Okay. So, wow. <laughs> Bringing that back around. That's okay, so crazy. we usually get into this later, but I would love to hear specifically from a health perspective. Uh, what advice do you have for like early stage entrepreneurs that are right in the beginning of that journey to like set habits early as a young entrepreneur to stay healthy and avoid level 12? <laughs> How to avoid level 12? Um, I think you have to find the stress management <laughs> techniques that work for you and figure out how to make sure you have some of those in your day every single day. And whether that's breathing or going for a run, like I love baths. I like turn on meditation music and I just lay there and it's just like, ah, so good. Especially when you're working from home, like, and you don't have that commute, that commute is a key time for us to decompress and like let go of work and prepare to come home and be with our families. Like mentally make that shift almost, right? Uh-huh. And the same with like going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Ramping up. So we live in a world now where a lot of us are just like, send my last email, enter send. And then we just like walk out the door and then like children are bombarding you. I mean, it's different for everybody. But yeah, I have three daughters. So in my house, it's like the instant I walk out of that door, it's just like boom, boom, boom. All these questions they've been waiting for me to get out of my office for. So um, one of the things... I, I speak on this a lot, actually. One of the things that we tell people is just like to build a virtual commute, right? So how Mental do you, commute. yeah, exactly. Wow. How do you build, even if it's just five or 10 minutes, how do you build that space where you can decompress and let like the workday things fall away and mentally prepare yourself to be present with whatever home life looks like for you? So yeah. That's so, great. I've never heard that. That's awesome. That's a good idea. That's a fascinating. That's good. Yeah. Wow. And it could be a walk. Some people walk. Like it could be a walk around the house. It could be just like listening to music. It could be doing a breathing exercise, uh, listening to like a podcast or whatever. But everybody can find something that works for them. But just basically, that principle is creating space yeah. between work and home. Yeah. I I love what you said earlier too about having one area that you work in your home, maybe your home office or whatever, because. Before COVID, I never did work in bed on my laptop, you know, and I did that a lot during COVID and continue to do that now. My wife's like, stop working in bed, you know, go do that somewhere else, you know, Um, mostly because it just bothers her. Um, But I realized that if you're doing that right before you go to sleep, guess what you're thinking about all night long and your brain is recycling that information. So I've I've done it less and less, but um, I love that point. It's a really good point. If you if you've read the book Atomic Habits, Atomic mm-hmm. Habits mm-hmm. talks about one place, one purpose, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that you have to have a nice office that's like, hey, I have a big fancy house with a big fancy office and you know French doors and this is my space because not everybody has access to those types of resources. It could be I live in a tiny little you know tiny house and this is my work chair in this corner of my tiny house, right? But it's all about just having a space that's dedicated for that activity or that part of your life and we sleep in our beds we work in this armchair whatever that looks like it's going to be different for everyone but yeah you that is a key principle um for creating that work-life balance is separation don't work in your bed anymore love that okay i will stop (laughs) as of this podcast i will not do it anymore thank you amelia (laughs) i didn't even realize it but like when we when i was working from home more frequently like the city we weren't as 
we weren't home for very long, right? We were like one of the, I don't know what they call them, the urgent like first responder group. Um, Cause you still needed like the water, you know, you still needed all the city services. So I went back to work pretty quick, but we still work from home like two or three days a week. And I didn't realize this until you mentioned it, but like every day at the end of the day, I would just be out in the backyard, like pulling weeds. And I think that was my like commute. Like that was, I just needed something to like separate me from the day. So yeah, I pulled weeds. I think that was my mental commute. Good one. I, I've got lots of those in my yard, Jake, if you want to come. I'm on my way. Continue AJ. that. <laughs> as soon as we finish, I'll do my mental commute at your house. <laughs> Love it. Amelia, what, what um, also intrigued me when you were talking about, um, you know, your business prior to COVID, the massage, uh, in-office massage service, which, oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. Hopefully you bring an element of that back. Um, but uh, it sounds like you had you said 4,000 customers or 6,000 customers across the country, right? Mm -hmm. 4,000. Um, that's, you know, gold, right, for any company. Were you able to pivot from what you're doing with massage work uh, to those same customers to what you're doing now? It would seem like that would be the obvious way <laughs> to go. But it was hard for our customers to make the mental shift of, like, this company who had been doing massage for 10 years. Like, oh, but now we do mental health. So hire us for that. I felt like we had a really hard time getting past that. So we kind of started all over. So it was like companies like Entrada that we had worked with forever. We, we couldn't get them to like leverage our new version of the company, our new platform and offering. But then we were able to come into companies like Domo that we hadn't worked with before. And they were like all over it. So it was really interesting because I would have thought our existing customers would have just been our first ones to pick it up. But they were kind of the last. Interesting. <laughs> mm. So I, I think, you know, once you have an identity, I, I mean, I still even get people that reach out to me on LinkedIn and they're like, oh, yeah, you're you're the massage girl, right? Like, we want to have massages in our office. Like, it's just I, I was branded that way. And I think it was hard for people to see me in a different way with a different type of product. Hmm. So you kept I, I was looking at your LinkedIn uh, earlier today and I saw that you had shifted during COVID. I didn't put the two together. That's how slow I am. I was like, in-office massage. I wonder why she stopped doing that in March of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what date it ended. But um, I also saw that you recently sold it. So I, I know that the massage company has continued. Um, and you recently kind of handed that off. But did you, were you, what was your background? Like, how did you initially get into this, like, uh, wellness, health space? Yeah, I'd say I've been obsessed with, like, the human body since my whole life. And I really started my, like, wellness path when I was 16. My first job was at the YMCA in Kansas City. And I worked there through high school. Um, and then I went to the University of Utah. I did not graduate, but I studied exercise physiology and nutrition there. Um, then I, and I also went to massage school, became a massage therapist, Thought I wanted to be maybe a chiropractor, maybe an anesthesiologist. My, I loved like the cadaver labs and like anatomy is my favorite subject. I, I, I was a TA for biology. I just always loved all the sciences. So I've always been really involved like on the wellness side. Um, so with Incorporate Massage, I started because I was a massage therapist. I built and scaled a tech enabled services company because we had like our own platform that facilitated and automated the massage piece. Um, 
And then our goal was actually to take that company and we raised about $2 million in angel funding. <clears throat> and we were going to take that money and we were going to expand the platform out to bring any wellness services on site. So on-site chiropractic, on-site dental cleanings. Like we had partners that did these things and people were asking for them. And so I was like, cool, let's turn the platform into a marketplace. We can bring in our vendor partners. We can take a piece um, and then we can kind of package it all together. It'll be really nice. And we that is where we were. We were like halfway through that build and COVID hit. And then we just had to walk away wow. from so much technology that we had invested in. Wow. And it was like, how can we serve customers right now? And that was actually really hard because it's really hard to walk away from things you've put a lot of money into when they're just like, you know, they say don't put don't put good money behind a bad idea or something. Like, I don't know. There's a saying. Don't where put good like, money after bad money. Yeah. It's just like you made an no, investment in this bad. thing. It didn't work out. Don't put more money into it. And so it was just kind of like, well, we're going to walk away from that. And now we're going to focus on this And because we saw this huge need with our customers, because it was my customers that were jumping on the phone with me and I would ask them all these questions, like what their employees were struggling with. And I was just searching for a new problem to solve. And mental health kept coming up over and over again. And I've always been super passionate about mental health. Um, I've got, like our family has used a lot of those services. <laughs> and we've got, um, my husband's a first responder. So there's just like a lot of PTSD stuff um, with firefighters, which is what he does. Um, and then I've got two of my kids that, um, have ADHD and anxiety and all these things that, that we've had to work through as a family. Um, so I've always told like all my friends, like you need therapy. Even if you don't think you need therapy, you need therapy. Like everyone can benefit from it. Um, and so when I saw this, I was like, this is perfect. It's like, we already have 10 years of experience hiring, scaling service providers. Let's just go find a new type of therapist instead of massage therapist. We'll get mental health therapist. Um, I was like, and let's just see if we can sell it. And so I just went out into the market as the only salesperson and just started contacting all these companies and just saying like, Hey, can we, and I think the first one we did was actually homey. And I asked Johnny Hannah and I was like, can we just come in and, uh, we'll just do like 60 days for free and like, let your employees use whatever they want just so we can get some data and then say, we had you guys as a customer and he was like, he put me in touch with their HR gal and it was all up to her and she wanted to do it. And afterwards they loved it. And then they signed a contract and they're still our client today. <clears throat> and that's kind of how it started. Um, they're great. He's been on our podcast. We love Johnny Anna. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. Um, big mental health advocate too. He yeah. talked about that a lot actually. In <laughs> he the did. Podcast. He yeah, did. he did. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. You've had an impact on him, I think. Uh, so that's, that's cool to hear that he was an early adopter. Yeah. What I was wondering, Amelia, um, and I love, I, I wish I knew more about the mental health space, space than I do. Um, I need to get more, more educated on it. But, um, I mean, years ago it was taboo to say, oh, I have a therapist. You know, I think people had the stigma of, oh, what's wrong with you kind of thing. Right. But now I feel like it's much more mainstream, much more commonly accepted and, um, you know, it's okay. Right. Do you see that as well? Yeah. A shift. Definitely a shift happening. Um, still a long ways to go. We're seeing the younger generations are much more open to it. It's becoming much more normalized for like the millennials. Um, you know, then you look at even like teenagers, like my kids, like everybody's got a therapist (laughs) in high school, it seems like right now. Um, and the college students, this is what they're asking for. They want access to therapy. So we're seeing the younger generations pick it up quickly. It's starting to kind of travel 
upstream now um, through like older demographics, but you still, if you're looking at your like manufacturing, um, mostly male, you know, 50s kind of demographic, they it's like barely nudged. <laughs> They've got a long ways to go to the resistance. They have heard something about mental health. Like, hmm. <laughs> you know what? I've heard that term before. They can say it. No, but it's definitely it's definitely the beginning of a movement. Um, and it's moving in that direction. So, so you're pivoting right now to address that issue of the colleges, both from the employees of colleges, but also students. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happened is, is we're serving these employers. We're seeing more and more schools, school districts, universities that are starting to come to us and they want these resources for their employees. And then we're starting to hear, but we also need this for the students. We also need this for the students. So, um, we have a I think if we have like four or five schools, even just here in Utah, and they're wanting to get us in front of their high school students and some of their junior high students. And we're not like quite ready for that yet (laughs) there's just some like liability and like legal things we have to work through and make sure our system can support but um the need is huge and what's what we're hearing from schools is that teachers are having these mental health issues because students are coming to them with what they're struggling with and these teachers are being burdened by that and unable to help the students and so really it doesn't make sense to just serve the students. It doesn't make sense to just serve the teachers. It really makes the most sense to serve the whole organization and create this kind of flywheel effect where the teachers are empowered to say, hey, I know exactly what tools you need and what tools you have access to because they're the same tools I have. And, you know, pushing the students back in that direction instead of like trying to take on the students' problems themselves is basically teachers are acting like therapists right now and it's really really hard on them so you're seeing teachers leave the profession so fast um, and that's a huge problem in in higher ed and secondary education as well Um, and then the students are the ones that are really struggling I can see a lot of value though in like the whole organization both students teachers faculty like the, the administration all speaking the same language you know there's value in that too um so that's really fascinating I love that that's the mission that's so yeah, cool. Traditionally, they've always had separate resources, and I'm just like, why? Yeah, let's get them all using. Make it the universal. Same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What What does it look like to to utilize your services, Amelia? Is it like a half an hour a week, or is it an hour session every couple of days? Like what? Like day, Like logistically, how does that work? Uh, it's going to vary a lot, <clears throat> just on the needs of the individual that's utilizing it. So our platform has like the on demand resources, which is going to be anything that's like pre-recorded like audio tracks, um, video classes, um, downloadables and and articles and things they can read because people want different things and they need different things, but they also want to consume it in the way they want to consume it. So for you, that might look like I'm going to read this article on my teenage daughter who's struggling with anxiety. For you, you might want to watch a video about it and like hear the therapist. For somebody else, maybe they're like, I'm ready to talk to someone and I want to bring somebody in on this and have them help me. And so we want to meet people wherever they're at in that journey with the type of resource that they need. It could also be that your anxiety level is really high because you're living paycheck to paycheck. And so you don't actually need to talk to a therapist, but getting with a financial coach who can help you build a budget and get out of debt, that's what's going to help your anxiety. And so it really is meeting each person where they're at with what they need. And so some people will be using on-demand resources. Some people work with a provider. Um, and 
that it's all going to be different for everyone. That's awesome, man. That's so fascinating. That's well done. How do yeah. you, uh, how do you help people find out? Like, I know that there's those like self-assessment tools that can help you find out like what's causing stress in your life. But I figure that's the first step, right? Like helping them realize why they're in this situation that they're in. Yeah. I think, I think there's some people that really benefit from that. I think there's a lot of people that are pretty aware, like what they're going through. (laughs) And they're like, I really need help with this thing. I think that the main problem, the reason that like companies and schools are coming to us is because there's this huge hole where people are like, oh, I need to see a therapist. I need to talk to someone. But it's like two or three months for me to wait to get through my health insurance. Or maybe they have an employee assistance program or a student support program in place. They're going to call that. They're going to get a list of names. They have to call each one of those providers. And it's still going to be a month wait. And so there's this huge gap between like EAP or SSP um, and health insurance and that's where we come in is like we're like we can get somebody in in 24 hours, get them exactly what they need. For some people, one session is all they need. They need to talk to someone, figure out like what how like how to handle the situation that they're in and maybe they don't need more support after that. For some people, maybe they're going to go three or four times. Um, <clears throat> and you have plans for all those things. Like yeah. Yeah, so the the employer will purchase access to the platform for the employees or students, and then they'll purchase a bundle of credits. And so the employees or students will just pull from those credits, and then if those credits get low, they just buy another bundle, like you would with Audible credits for listening to books or something like that. Got it. Wow. it's a good way to do it. Thanks. So um, I would think because you're bringing in other partners and vendors, right, they love you because they're like, wow, this is helping us really build our businesses as well. We don't have vendors. They're all in-house. So it's all in-house yeah, now. They're all W-2 employees. Everyone okay, okay. I misunderstood yeah. that. We have, Yeah, we have financial coaches, registered dietitians, yoga instructors, life coaches. Um, a lot of our providers actually operate in multiple categories. So like our meditation facilitators could also be yoga instructors and licensed therapists. Mm. So they do a lot of different things. And then we invest in our providers um, on the therapy side. We get them licensed in multiple states and countries and give them access to a lot of work. They don't work for our competitors. It's not just a network of 1099s like a lot of our competitors have. So that was a pivot from the way you operated the yeah. last business to this one? No, or no? we did it the same way. Oh, the really? massage business, they were all W-2 employees. Okay, wow. I, yeah, I misunderstood that completely. So how, how many people do you have on staff then or on your team? Um, so on the provider team is about 200 providers that work for us. Wow. Okay. That, that's, I mean, obviously like jumping into it would be way easier to go the 1099 route. Uh, and so it was like a full commit to, to go this direction. So that's really bold. And I love that you took that strategy. Yeah, I think cause I started off as a, as a massage therapist and I personally like working in a chiropractor's office was misclassified. I was full on an employee. I had to be there at certain hours. I, um, like there was all these requirements. I had to wear certain things. I had to, um, there's like a list of the IRS of like what makes it so you're an employee right. versus a 1099. But I was like all the way in the employee side. Um, and so I realized later what he was doing, cause I was young, like, you know, a 20 year old massage therapist, just like happy to have work, but he was, it, it was straight up tax evasion. <laughs> like <laughs> this is like him just trying to make more money and not take 
responsibility and take care of the people that were working for him. Um, so once I realized that, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to build this massage company. I'm not going to build it and take advantage of the massage therapist. I'm going to invest in them. And then we're able to give them like some types of benefits. We can give them training. We have more control over the quality of what's happening instead of like if you have a network, like you look at a company like um, BetterHelp, they have like 20,000 1099s. Like there's no controlling the level of quality. So when people go, some people have a good experience, some people have a bad experience. With us, we're able to have our therapists work with our clinical advisory board and our director of clinical operations and give them more training and education and just just a better experience. And we're selling to HR and HR is all about like taking care of your employees. So I feel like that really resonates with them too, where they're like, oh, you're taking care of them just the way we take care of ours. I think that matters. Yeah, I think it does. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really valuable. Um, mm -hmm. So are most of your services um, remote so that you can offer them to companies across the country yep. or are they okay they're all remote okay yep. yeah awesome. we have we have providers that operate in 32 countries and speak eight languages so oh so you're worldwide yeah not why not worldwide just 32 countries there's way more countries than that yeah yeah there are but <laughs> but yeah we mainly can. where geographically um so i'm bad with like the acronyms people like to use. I'm like, we have people in APAC. <laughs> and I don't remember what the one is for all the Spanish-speaking Central and South American countries. But um, the regulations are kind of different. So we have people in the UK. So we have clients that have employees in France and in England. And uh, we've got Singapore, India, Japan. But um, in the like, Spanish-speaking like Latinx um, countries, it's like, there's not, it's like kind of the wild west a little bit from a licensing perspective. So, um, we can have like a handful of people that can serve all of those countries. We make sure they're licensed to our standards and okay. uh, it's kind of the same way with massage. We operated in Mexico and there were like no laws for massage. Anybody could just go and be a massage therapist. You have to go to school. So <laughs> we had to set our own standards for Mexico as a massage company and be like, okay, you have to meet these same like American standards. And then those were the people we would hire, but so it's not like it's something we haven't like run into before, um, but it is a lot less regulated in the Central and South American countries. Mm -hmm. What, um, I mean, <clears throat> sounds like you've done, I mean, you've done some incredible things and built two really large, great companies that are, that, uh, you know, the one that you had before COVID and then the one you're doing now. Um, tell us a story that just blow our minds about, you being a midnight founder and just making it happen against all odds. Love those stories. Mm. <laughs> um, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, I mean, even though I made myself very sick pivoting the company, it like that is kind of the ultimate story though. It was really hard. It took everything that I had. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I remember so many nights just like crying to my husband like I can't do it it's too hard and he would just be like you can just keep going you've got this and but like the only way I can explain it is like I just felt so compelled I was like I there is something important I am supposed to do and I've got to figure out how to do it like I knew I had to get from point A to point B but I didn't know how to get there because I was just like I don't have a background in mental health educationally right like I how how am I gonna because how am I even going to get therapists that want to work for me? How am I going to do all these things? Um, the biggest part of the pivot was actually just building the platform that people could actually schedule with a therapist. 
and we were on Salesforce, and so we leveraged their mobile publisher, which is like a no-code, and you can, like, it'll publish a mobile app for you and everything, and so That's we great. were able to kind of go from, like, zero to 100, and, like, I put in the little modules. I have no UX background, <laughs> and I'm not an engineer or anything, but... I was just Way like... Way to leverage Salesforce. Thank you, Salesforce, <laughs> for helping. Oh, they've had me business. speak many times yeah, that's <laughs> about great. the pivot. But um, yeah, we were able to do that really quickly. But I mean, those first clients I met with, I was demoing in Adobe XD, <laughs> like not a real platform. Like, yeah. And then you click here, you know, and then, <laughs> then it shows you the next screen and people think that they're looking at like a real platform. We hadn't even built it yet. But I was like, I think it'll look like this. It's all mock-ups. I love <laughs> totally it. Totally all That's mock-ups. Great. That's great. I think every entrepreneur has done that probably. You yes. just like BS your way through it. Totally. And, then, and you're trying to like Act pick up. Act as if, right? Yep. And you're <laughs> trying to pick up every little clue you can get of like what they want. So you're kind of tweaking it as you go. And I'm kind of doing the same thing right now on the higher ed side because I've never sold into higher ed. I didn't even graduate from higher ed. I speak at colleges all the time on, on entrepreneurship. So I know like all the people at all the schools of entrepreneurship, but like I don't speak their language. I don't know who their buyers are. I never had heard the word provost before like three months ago. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's not a specific story, but that I would think like sitting down and showing these clients the platform. And then when we got our first contract, I was just like, this is amazing. I think we only had... So I was selling two things at the same time. I was selling mental health services to see if I could close any deals with just like access to therapy. And then I was selling these videos that we had curated. And we had a bunch of massage therapists that had worked for us before. So I found about 12 that could make like yoga videos, meditation videos, fitness videos. Um, and it was total, it was also kind of the wild, wild west because nobody knew what they were doing. Everybody was out of work. So everyone was so eager to do whatever. I'm just like, I don't know. I'll pay you like $20 an hour. Make me some videos. <laughs> and uh, we sent them like ring lights and little mics that could hook up to their phone. And just these are people that are not creators and they don't know how to, how to, um, film themselves. So like the first versions of the videos, like people's heads are cut off. <laughs> or, like it's like, <laughs> it's, it was just they were terrible. The sound would be all echoey or like their face would be dark or it would be all bleached out. So it was terrible. But we had put together maybe like five or six videos that were decent. And I was showing them to this real estate company in California. And they were my first client. They signed a $20,000 contract for me. That was my first contract. And I was like, oh, we can sell this. And then we had a little bit of money to go and make like better videos and and, wow. you know, now we're on like iteration, like 20 of our content and it's like really good and it looks great. And we had like animated thumbnails, like, or animated like intros and like really nice thumbnails and, um, good lighting and audio and all that. Now we're starting to, to do a lot more video in person. So like the quality production quality goes up, but yeah, it's, it's crazy what you can do when you're just like, I believe I'm going to do this thing and you can project that confidence and that belief to a customer and they believe you, <laughs> and then they sign, and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to go make it happen. Um, and that just happens kind of over and over and over again through the iterations of a company when you grow. I, I remember doing the same thing with uh, Massage. We had been working with, like, all these companies. I think um, USANA Health Sciences was, like, our first contract that was, like, a regular contract where we were coming in there every week. And then we got like Entrada and then Entrada had their Dallas office. And then they were like, can you do our Dallas office? And that's when we started expanding out nationally. Cause I was like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll sign the contract. And then I had to figure out how to hire people that I'd never met and have them go take care of our clients. But 
we, I got a phone call or we had a form come in from Intel. Um, and this was like, I don't know, probably 2015, 2013 maybe. Um, and so I call this lady and it's, it is literally the head of procurement for Intel. I had no idea how important she was, but I'm just treating her like every other lead. I'm like on the phone and asking her the questions. And anyway, that was my first time working with a, like a fortune 500 company like that and going through that whole procurement process. Like you're signing their contracts. They're not signing yours. You're signing theirs. It's like a totally different ball game. And that started as like a, a little $30,000 contract for one uh, location. And it grew to be $750,000 a year across eight locations with Intel. And that was I, I just still remember how it felt too. I like was like, okay, we'll do it for this much money. I hope they go for it. I don't know. You know, you don't want to price it too low. You don't want to price it too high. And when we got that contract, and she's like, all right, you need to come and fly out and see the facility, and like met with her in person. It was just like I was in so far over my head. I didn't even <laughs> didn't I even know it. it. You just go for it. You just did it. I That's love it. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. Yes. I love that story. I love that you had your husband behind you and that you mentioned that, just that support system. I think that's so crucial in entrepreneurship to be able to have that cheerleader behind you just saying, yeah, you got this and you're going to do great. Uh, and I also um, I also just, just think that uh, the fact that you were willing to just step up and like make it happen, because uh, how quickly did the pipeline shut off? Like, was it for massage? For yeah. Like when COVID hit, like, was like, it like, well, so it was interesting because <clears throat> at first everyone was like, oh, we're going to be shutting down the office for a couple of weeks. We just need to push the date back. So it, everyone started off with just like, oh, we just need to delay. And so they were, would, were rescheduling. Yeah. What was interesting is like, we had no revenue coming in during that time, but all these requests were coming in to reschedule. So support needs were like through the roof, but we had no revenue. Um, and then those started getting spread further and further out. And then it was just like shut down and people were just like, didn't know when it was going to come back. So everything was just kind of in this weird hiatus where it's like, I don't know. And, and, and like some of them went out of business. Some of them stayed remote. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty instant. Um, it was about just, we watched it just fall apart. It was about a, over 10 days uh, was the timeline. And I remember my board said, we need you to put together three forecasts, one for six weeks without massage, one for 10 weeks without massage, and one for 12 weeks without massage, something like that. They're like these small little windows. And so I, I forecasted and built out a financial model for all those. And then we, we recognized like we couldn't afford to keep everybody working. So we had to furlough a bunch of our employees um, that, you know, there was no sales happening. <laughs> we had to just put everyone on furlough. We're like, sorry, we, but we have no money. Um, and then the board said, actually, we want you to do a six-month forecast. And I remember being mad. I was like, you guys, I'm in, like, freaking – it's, like, chaos, panic. Like, there's all these things I need to be doing. I do not have time to sit down and build a six-month massage freeze forecast. And that was the most valuable – they pushed back on me, and they were like, no, you have to build this. I was like, that's ridiculous. There's no way this is going to last six months. I was, and I was, like, kind of pissed that they were wasting my time. Um, but I did it, and that's when the writing was on the wall, and it was like – will literally be out of business and they, so my my board was like ready to file for bankruptcy they thought we were done and i was like i got a house like i gotta figure this out guys <laughs> so there's um, no other option i'm, I'm gonna we keep gotta trying. do this but yeah i mean it was it was brutal and that's when we realized it's like hmm, if we don't have massage for six months we literally go out of business so we had to we proactively just furloughed everyone 
And it was like me and one of my other executives um, working in just, one of them was working for stock because <laughs> I couldn't afford to pay her. And, uh, and we're just trying, she was like managing all the day-to-day support stuff that was coming in. I was just going out there and trying to figure out what we could sell. And like, it was crazy. You can accomplish a lot when your back's against the wall. Yeah. But then th- there's something you have to have a recovery period. <laughs> That's the to, part I was missing. Then you have to build a mental health company to kind of save yourself, to, right? Yeah. I think oh. it's okay to like blitz things. I actually talk about this when I speak on mental health too. Is like I call it, I got it from one of my mentors actually. He said, I don't think he called it dolphining, but that's what I call it. <laughs> he wouldn't claim that phrase, but this idea that like balance isn't necessarily like every single day I do these things and it is for this long and I'm perfectly balanced every day. It doesn't look like that. You have to zoom out and look at balance even week by week or month by month. So there may be some weeks or months that you dive down deep and you're down there and you're just like in the weeds and you're working super hard and you have to balance that out by kind of coming back up for air, right? And then having a couple weeks that are lighter where you can recover. The problem is when we dive down deep and we just keep going and going and going and we run out of air and that's not good. And then we drown. So you hit level 12 and you hit level 12. Yeah. But as long as you're like having weeks that are really intense, but you're balancing those out with weeks that are less intense, like you can keep going, but I like that. You can't keep going if it's intense all the time. That's true. What's next for your company? I mean, I'm just so excited to be working in education. Um, kind of like how I said, I felt just like so compelled to pivot the company into mental health and to keep going when it literally, you could look at it and you're like, there's no way you're going to win. My board couldn't see it. And I was just like, no, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> so I feel that same way kind of about working in education. I just think we have we have an amazing and powerful tool that works and helps people. And I think it's so perfect for the younger demographic. And I think we're going to have the greatest impact as a company if we're helping people get those skills. Like we were saying, you know, COVID hit and none of us had the skills to freaking take care of ourselves and like manage working from home and all these things. Like how powerful will our society be if these kids who are coming out into the world before they're getting jobs and starting families know how to manage this stuff themselves and they can go out there and be balanced and do self-care. And anyway, it makes me very, very excited to think about the impact we can have by helping kind of the rising generation. So that's really where I feel like I want to go. So I think um, that's that's awesome. I love that. I love I, – you know, I'm just thinking about the impact that it could have on my kids as they grow up. And I, I wish that, you know, I wish that we had caught on to this earlier. Um, so I'm excited about the future of what that is. Um, I, I think you've shared so many great insights along this during this podcast. But is there anything that you have um, as you think about your journey and the lessons that you learned for somebody that's just starting a company or is in the early stages of running a company, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, the most powerful thing you can do is to get really good mentors and advisors. That's, that is the best thing in the universe. And so people make fun of me sometimes because I have so many mentors and advisors. The hard thing is... How many? Uh, 
20? I have, like, I have like an advisor's folder in my email. They each have like their own <laughs> folder. But yeah, I mean, probably upwards of like 20 to 30. And they all have helped at different times of the business, mm-hmm. different versions. They all have different backgrounds. But um, I will just ask people to mentor me all the time. Um, if there's something I want to know and I'll just I'll take them out to lunch or um, whatever. And now I'm kind of in a position where people are doing that to me all the time, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, any you just learn so much faster when you can learn from somebody who already knows. And there's so much we don't know about <laughs> everything. Um, and that, that's been like the key to how I've been able to move so quickly with so many different things. It's just because I like you're as powerful as your network. Um, and building a strong network of smart people around you who just want to help you do good in the world. There's a lot of people out there that are happy to give back and help you. Especially here in this area. Seems like it's just really good that way. Yeah, Utah's awesome for that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Even all the way down here in Springville. I know. (laughs) I don't even know where I am right now, okay? (laughs) All the way from Midway to Springville. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear your house got done. Uh, I'm sure that that probably lifted some stress off your life. Uh, yeah, getting bit. that project done. So, <laughs> I mean, um, with one project done, there's probably three thousand more, right? Because uh-huh. having it just open the door, so many more things. But good, yeah. Um, we don't have anything else, but we love to at the end just open it up for you. If there's anything that we didn't touch on that you'd love to kind of share, and if not, how do people get in touch with you? Um. Yeah, people can get in touch with me. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can just find me. It's just Amelia hyphen Wilcox. It's how we got her on the podcast. Right. Send her a message on LinkedIn. That's right. Yeah. And I will answer you, uh, or Heidi will help me answer you. <laughs> Thank you, Heidi. Everyone needs a Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, I'm passionate about like mentoring female entrepreneurs. It's one of the things I love to do, so I love when other awesome ladies want to reach out and say like, Hey, help me. So uh, I think um, it's powerful when we all kind of come together. Cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So good. Amelia, you're the best. Appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks guys. The Midnight Founders podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB vault and Rev road. CB vault is the entrepreneur arm of central bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.